Hi, welcome to Health Now from WebMD. I'm your host, Carrie Gann. This podcast is your go-to for easy to understand health information. There is no shortage of myths when it comes to health. So we have a quiz for you to see if you can spot some common misconceptions about summer health. Number one, you've probably heard this one or maybe seen it on an episode of Friends. True or false, you should pee on a jellyfish sting. That is false. Urine can make your skin hurt even more. Instead, use plain hot water or salt water and a pain reliever like lidocaine to numb the area. Or if you can find it, vinegar is great for taking the sting out. Ask a lifeguard if they have any. Keep an eye out for jellyfish when you're swimming and remember, even a dead one can sting you if you step on it. What should you eat to keep mosquitoes away? Is it garlic and onions, bananas and pineapples, all of the above or none of the above. Well, garlic is just for movie vampires, but bananas or other foods won't work either. The correct answer is none of the above. Bug spray and wearing long sleeves are the best ways to protect yourself from bug bites. Question number three. This is a pretty common one you've probably heard your whole life. How long should you wait to swim after you eat? Is it 15 minutes? 30 to 45 minutes, one hour, or you don't need to wait. Turns out there's no specific amount of time you need to wait after you eat a small meal or snack. Just don't jump in after a big meal. You might get cramps or heartburn. Number four, you can sue the sunburn with a washcloth soaked in which of these liquids? Is it skim milk, olive oil, or red wine? The answer is skim milk. It makes a film that helps ease the discomfort of the sunburn. But next time you go out, be sure you cover up, use sunscreen, and head for the shade. All right, last question. True or false? You can get a cold from air conditioning. That is false, my friends. Colds are not caused by going from outdoor heat to indoor chill. They're caused by viruses. So wash your hands and stay away from sick people to help yourself stay healthy. All right, hopefully you aced this quiz, but we can all stand to brush up on our health knowledge. You can take the full quiz on our website and you'll find the link in our show notes. Hi, I'm Robert Allen, an editor at WebMD. And we're here with Dr. Michael Smith, our chief medical editor, to talk about something that's been in the headlines a lot lately, heat stroke. Welcome, Dr. Smith. It's great to be here. So tell us exactly what is heat stroke? Yeah, we're talking about a spectrum of illnesses called heat-related illness, starting with heat cramps. Basically, cramps, especially in the ankles, hands, just from being overheated, hard, intense muscles. Many people won't even get that, though. Kind of the next stage, heat exhaustion. Here you're getting fatigue and nausea, headache, where you're starting to sweat a lot, your body temperature's starting to go up. 
and people may have symptoms at this stage or honestly they may not and that's what's so scary the first symptoms you have may be symptoms of heat stroke where you're having the profuse sweating you start getting confusion you can have seizures if you don't get prompt medical attention it could lead to death so we're talking about your body temperature is like 104 or higher so it's absolutely an emergency medical situation so are children more likely to have heat stroke than adults? Very young children, children less than four are. Adults over 65 are also more at risk. But as we've seen with the, the cases across the country, it can really happen to anyone, young athletes, really anyone outside, and especially out west where we've had temperatures, you know, 115 plus degrees, obviously the risk of overheating is pretty high. Now, the risk is higher in humid environments, like in the southeast, but it can happen anywhere. And the reason is, is because our bodies cool themselves by sweating by sweating and evaporating the sweat. So if the sweat can't evaporate because the humidity is so high, our bodies can't cool off and the temperature in our bodies can start rising exponentially. Dr. Smith, what would be the typical treatment for a case of heat stroke? So it's definitely a 911 situation. If you find someone that you even suspect might have heat stroke, one of the signs obviously is that their profuse sweating can actually turn to hot, dry skin because at that point, their body's so overheated and so dehydrated that our typical mechanisms to cope are not working. Therefore, we're not sweating anymore. So if someone's overheated, headaches, really confused, absolutely first thing call 911 then you get them to either air conditioning or a shady environment if, if there is no air conditioning because the shade in a shaded environment temperatures will go down the heat index will go down by about 15 degrees then you want to do whatever you can do to cool them off right take off any extra unnecessary clothing even if there's a garden hose with wet you know cool water or sponge them down while you're waiting for the emergency medical team to get there our goal is to decrease the body core temperature as much as we can but you're never going to be able to do what you need to do on on your own that's why you really need emergency medical help because if you don't get that it can be a fatal situation do people who have heat stroke ever pass out you mentioned athletes earlier and just last week there was a runner in upstate new york who had heat stroke and died during a race All right so what can an athlete do to prevent heat stroke hydration 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 we even say about two cups of water a couple of hours before and eight ounces every 20 minutes, right? Most of us never drink that much. We need to be hydrated very well going into an event and constantly rehydrating ourselves. This holds for you working outside even. If you're working outside in the heat, doing any kind of activity outside when it's the hot peak temperatures, you really got to focus on hydrating yourself. Now, ideally, you actually would not be doing that, right? Try to limit your time outside during those peak heat hours, like 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Early morning is best, or even later in the evening, if at all possible, stay indoors when the heat is just so high, because our body mechanisms just can't cope when it's that hot outside. This summer, there have been a lot of headlines about children dying in hot cars. Is there anything to do to prevent that? It can be like 70 something degrees outside, which is quite nice and feels wonderful. But even in a car with a cracked window, the temperature will rise 20 degrees very quickly. So even if a window is cracked, if it's at all 
it really just never leave your kid in the car alone. Now, people sometimes it happens by mistake. So like a one cool thing you can do is just because parents are really busy, they may have three kids in the car just to make sure you don't forget your sleeping kid. Put a little stuffed animal like in the front seat, something as a visual reminder to remind you that you do have a kid might be sleeping in the back seat because you never want to leave them alone. I've also read that you could like leave one of your shoes in the back seat or your purse or your briefcase. That way you'll have to go into the back seat to get it and then you'll be reminded visually that you're perfect so, idea. So what can people do in general to prevent heat stroke in the first place? Yeah, so in addition to staying, you know, indoors in that peak heat hours, you really want to do whatever you can do to keep your body temperature low. So wear loose fitted clothing, light colored clothing, a wide brimmed hat, sunscreen even will actually help your body kind of repel the heat from the sun. So anything you can do to keep that, that down, make sure you hydrate like we've been talking about, lots of, of fluids and really just be careful outside. Be very aware of how your body is feeling. If you're not feeling quite right and it's hot outside, just go inside because chances are you're starting to experience the early signs of heat related illness and if you can catch it early cool yourself down and get hydrated you can prevent something more serious happening that's great advice just go on inside as soon as you start to feel hot there you go well thank you dr smith it's been a pleasure <laughs> my pleasure dogs and water they go together like well summer and sunshine but it pays to play it safe when you hit the water together. Most important, remember that not all dogs know how to swim. And if you get a new dog, you probably don't know how comfortable he is in the water. So start out slow and make sure you keep an eye on him. On top of that, we have some tips for you to keep him safe no matter where you swim. When you're at the beach, keep these things in mind. Watch out for strong currents and riptides, which can take you both out to sea. Even the best swimmer can be in danger when the seas are rough. Don't let your dog drink the ocean water either. It could make him sick. Instead, bring bottled water to make sure he has something fresh to drink. And keep him away from any fish that have washed onto the shore. If you've got a pool in your backyard, keep it dog friendly with these steps. Put a fence around it to keep your dog out when it isn't time to swim and keep a sturdy cover on top of it when you aren't using it. It should be made of a material that lets rainwater through. Dogs can actually drown in puddles on top of pool covers. Teach your dog how to get in and out of the pool and make sure there are steps or a ramp he can use to climb out on his own. And before he gets in, check the temperature of the water. Only a few breeds can handle super cold water. When you're at the lake or on a river, get your dog a life jacket, especially if you take him out on a boat or a dock. And steer clear of bodies of water with blue-green algae. That could actually make your dog sick. Check the current of a river or a creek and make sure it isn't too strong to let your dog swim. And before he gets in, check the area for fishing gear first, like sharp hooks and barbs. No matter where he's been swimming, rinse him off and dry his ears once he gets out of the water. Hi, I'm Aaron Gouldshine, and I'm the senior news editor here at WebMD, and I'm with Dr. Neha Pathak, our WebMD's medical editor. We're here to talk to you about a story we recently ran on brain and brain age, and how some people actually, they tell you that they feel younger than their age, and there actually might be some science behind that. So Dr. Pathak, I want to talk, start off by just asking you, in your years of practicing as a doctor, have you had patients or known people who come in and say that, that they just have a spark on their eye, and they actually seem to be younger than their actual age? 
Absolutely. And those people are the funnest people to work with and to pick up some tips from. I think there is certainly a lot that we can learn from people that have aged and feel a lot younger than mm. their chronologic age. Right. And I think there's a lot that we can learn about how they've uh, lived their lives, what are some of their behaviors, what are some of their healthy attitudes that have helped them to stay feeling so young. That's great. And we'll get to some tips and ideas maybe in a few minutes. But the story itself talked uh, about some scientists in South Korea. They did some brain scans of a group of seniors who all claimed to feel younger than their age. And the results came back and showed that they all had more gray matter in parts of their brains that tend to shrink as you get older. So the people who felt younger than their age also tended to score higher on memory tests, feel like they were in better health overall, and were less likely to say they were depressed. Can you just explain for folks for a second quickly what gray matter actually is? Sure. So when you're thinking about a brain, when you look at brain tissue, there are certain areas that look pinkish and gray, and then there's certain parts of the brain that look more white. And the pinkish and gray parts is really where there's a large group of nerve cells that are really the parts that are making connections with the other cells and where the nucleus of the that's really the energy center mm -hmm. uh, the brains of that nerve cell live and then the white matter is where the connecting kind of tubes the pathways that connect these nerves from one to the other live so that's really the, the distinction and Parts of the brain that have more green matter, gray matter are the areas that have control over motor function, control over our sensory perceptions, our ability to see and hear things, control over our memory, emotions, and also decision making, being able to control ourselves. Mm -hmm. All of that is where we see a lot of gray matter. So that would tend to make sense then. These folks, these older people who reported in these surveys that they felt healthier, they felt more lively, they obviously were probably then able, you know, very mobile still in control of their faculties. So that would make sense then if they have keeping their gray matter. Right, exactly. And so what we do know is that with just typical normal aging, the brain volume goes down. And that is true in the gray matter areas as well. So when we say it's shrinking, we're still not quite sure if that means that you're losing brain cells or if the cells that are there are just getting smaller. Right. We do know though that the areas tend to look smaller. And with this study, what they found is what they expected the brain volume to be was actually larger when people felt healthier. So it's hard to find a correlation directly between how people feel and what their brains are actually doing or experiencing. Um, so the researchers in this case aren't sure if feeling younger made the test subjects you know, more likely to take better care of themselves or if they're taking better care of themselves because they already feel younger and they want to maintain that. But apparently they do know, they can say that it's a good jumping off point to look at links between lifestyle choices and brain health and brain st stability. Uh, so it's basically how you feel about your age. Does this mean that age is really just a number and you're only as young as you feel? I'm going to go with a strong yes hey, on that not, one. Right? <laughs> right. I mean, I think that, again, we really don't want to think of ourselves as any number. We're not just a blood pressure number. We're not a cholesterol number. And we can say we're not just an age number anymore. We're really an individual where it, even your doctor really needs to think about what is going into making you you? What are your genetics, your family history? What are you eating? What are your health choices in terms of behavioral choices, but also your attitude choices? 
That's really great. Are there any specific, you know, things proven in science or in medical that you could actually do to take better care of your brain as you get older? Yeah, so absolutely. And I think that there's a lot of studies behind some of what we're going to talk about. So I like to think about these things in two categories, which I've already, we've kind of already talked about. One is healthy behavior choices. So those are things like eating healthy. So it's a very easy to say eat healthy and make the right food sure. choices, but what specifically does that mean? Green vegetables, legumes, whole wheat, those kinds of things that we know these are the things that are healthy, that should be part of our diets from a very young age because this really is a marathon. We need to start when we're very young to prevent some of these changes from happening in our brains when we're older. The researchers and stuff and, and have suggested a very variety of things to do to keep your brain healthy, and basically it's to use it, right? I mean, it is true. Don't use it or you will lose it. You know, so what? Like read a book, you know, get out of the house, interact with people, you know, make those synapses fire, right? Are those all things that people should be doing? Perfect. So, yes. Yeah. So, in terms of the, the stuff that we already know, like you said, eat healthy, exercise, sleep the recommended hours of sleep at nighttime, and um, also don't smoke. Well, that's a good one. Limit your alcohol intake. So those are kind of healthy behaviors that we all know about. Then the second part is what you were talking about really is what else can you do on top of that? And this is the fun stuff. What are the right. fun things you can do? So a hobby, something that you're interested in, new habits. So take up a new pastime. If you are always wanted to learn to knit, this is a great time to find a class. Um, another thing is really healthy attitude. So this is something we don't talk about enough, I think, is really sort of gratitude and connection with other people. Right. Um, so there are definitely studies that show that happiness, gratitude, and connection are all connected as well in making us feel younger and healthier as we age. This is all really fascinating. You're interacting, you're motivating, you're, you know, um, you're finding a reason to be and to experience. Right. Absolutely. All the things we talked about that your gray matter um, participate in, so motor control, being able to speak to somebody, communicate self-control, uh, controlling your emotions, all of those pieces of your gray matter, they all are active when you're interacting with another person. So it's very important to not think of each of these things as individual pieces and piecemeal, you know, so let's address loneliness, let's address your diet. We've got to really do all of these together. It's the whole body thing. It's right. And the brain leads all. And the brain is the the nucleus of all of that. There yes. you go. Dr. Nehopathic, thanks very much. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Allison West, an editor here at WebMD, and this week's Tweak of the Week is one for the books. Read more. Researchers from Yale University found that people who read books live an average of two years longer than those who don't, regardless of factors such as age, race, and gender. People who read for more than three hours a week benefited most and it didn't matter whether they read physical books or digital ones. So, bury your nose in a book before bed, read on your bus or train commute, or take a book break during the day. Get your kids interested in books too. You'll be better off in the long run. That's all we have for this week. Thanks for joining us. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out WebMD on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. We have some great information and the latest in health news too. Hope everybody has a great week.